I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. This episode is actually a sermon I preached at East River Church on Father's Day 2021. We're republishing it here because it's got a lot of content in it that's actually going into the new book, and some of it is very similar to the content uh, I gave down at the Stronghold Conference. We hope it is encouraging to you men as you seek to reflect and image God into this world. Our passage, which I'll read and then not talk about, a long time to the very end, is Genesis 3, verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the word of God. Let's ask the Lord bless this. Father, bless this time uh, in your word, thinking on the goodness of your design and how you work through it to bring yourself glory. We thank you that you love us as a father, that we have access to you, that you're not merely some distant deity, some maker of things that sets it in motion and backs away, but you are a benevolent father, and you do love us because of what was accomplished through the work of your son. We praise you and thank you for that this day. Amen. Uh, It's well known that there's a massive difference between Mother's Day sermons and Father's Day sermons. Preachers tend to gush over mothers in their congregation. They praise them for their sacrifice and hard work, and I think that's good. Uh, Faithful mothers should be praised. But Father's Day sermons are often used as an opportunity to critique men, to highlight the failure of fathers. More often than not, men are illustrated as useless oafs. Men are made out to be like Homer Simpson or some other lame sitcom dad. So, moms get a rose on Mother's Day, dads get a kick in the hindsight on Father's Day. So when I accidentally did a Mother's Day sermon a few weeks back entitled Christian Women's Sin, uh, it generated some interest online and even a little bit of outrage. Uh, Believe it or not, our church is only about six months old, and we've had our sermons downloaded already 6,000 times, and that sermon has been downloaded about five times more than anything else we've ever put out. Know why? Well, most pastors subscribe to a myth I like to call masculine devils and feminine angels. It's the idea that men are somehow more sinful than our feminine counterparts. It's as if women are more pure and holy simply by being females. Now, ladies, you know that's not true, right? I I listen to you about what you have to say about other women. So we all know this is not true. And it wasn't always this way, though. Uh, there, there were some very negative views of women in the ancient world and during the medieval period. Uh, but that's shifted over time. Uh, and as far as I can tell, especially during the Romantic era of a couple centuries ago, both men and women, Scripture teaches, are equally fallen and equally need the grace of God. If you do you need the cross less than me, of course you don't. Right? We all need the cross. 
Nonetheless, these days, most pastors pander to women and rarely correct them for their sins, especially related to them. Uh, So that sermon title piqued interest. Now, why are some people, even Christians, outraged by the concept of such a sermon without even listening to it? I mean, I was getting negative messages and all this stuff. I was like, you even know what I'm going to say, right? You haven't even heard it yet. You're a terrible person. Well, yeah. Um, But simply put, here's why. The church has been overran by feminism of one sort or another. And pastors aren't allowed to hold women accountable for saying anything. Uh, women, they'll have you know, are victims of the patriarchy. Have you heard this one? This lame college meme. How did colleges get so lame? How dare you critique women when there are so many evil men in the world and women who have been suffering under the reign of those men for centuries and centuries. We must smash the patriarchy. And so it goes. Consequently, most pastors say very little of the failures of women or mothers and much of the failures of men and fathers, especially on Father's Day. Now, seeing how we live in reactionary times, there is a temptation to flip the script and to lay heavy criticism on women or mothers and heap praises on men or fathers. But that's simply driving the car from one ditch into the other ditch on the other side of the road. I see that. I see that in a culture. A sort of uh, a real misogyny. Not the fake stuff everyone keeps whining about, but real hatred. It's an overreaction. So with that in mind, let me throw you a a little curveball today. What if I told you that the feminists were both right and wrong? They are right that there is absolutely a patriarchy that needs to be smashed destroyed, crushed into powder. But they're wrong that patriarchy is evil. Quite the opposite. It is the key to solving the issues of our day, both within and without the church. And just as I primarily spoke to women on Mother's Day, today I'll primarily speak to you, you men. I'm sure it'll help everybody. It's truth. It's God's word. So let me explain. Patriarchy is inevitable. God has built it into the fabric of the cosmos. Cosmos is a big word. We think of like just space and, you know, planets. But cosmos is the actual structure of creation. There's an unseen realm behind everything, a spiritual realm. Cosmos speaks of that. So patriarchy is part of the divine created order. You could soon as smash it as you could smash gravity. It is natural and irrevocable. Cicero once said, custom will never conquer nature. For it is always invincible. Men were made to rule. And they always have and they always will. Nothing can change that. Nothing will. It's not a question of whether men will be ruling, but which ones and how. This is what patriarchy is. And while we're talking about today, it's a natural rulership of men. The term comes from the Greek, which simply means father rule. That's what it means. The history of mankind begins with patriarchy, with a man, Adam, commissioned to be fruitful and to multiply and to rule over the earth in God's stead. That man failed to uphold the name of his father and how he ruled quickly turned bad. That man failed, uh, or excuse me, but that he ruled could not be changed. Fathers by nature rule, and he was the father of the human race. And this had dire consequences for all those under his fatherhood. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism, something we use as a tool, uh, says the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, 
but for his posterity, all mankind, descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. So though the woman ate the forbidden fruit before the man, we did not fall in Mother Eve. We fell in Father Adam. Thus mankind was plunged into an estate of sin and misery by the failure of the first patriarch. But God, being rich in mercy, made a promise of redemption, a promise handed down through the fathers of his people. He himself told Moses, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Consequently, Scripture traces the promises uh, made to fathers until their fulfillment in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is through the work of the Son of Man that man is reconciled to the Father, and we can all become sons of God. Fitted to rule on his behalf as Adam should have, as Jesus does, fitted to be patriarchs. Now, redemptive history is also a patriarchal history. That's why the societal structures in Scripture, too, are patriarchal, because they all are derived from the original prototypical household. The very the model is all that means, the very first household. Before there was nations, there was the original ruling family headed by Adam. Nations are headed by men because they are made up of households that are headed by men. In the same way, before there were churches, there was the original worshiping family headed by Adam. Churches are headed by men because they are made up of households that are headed by men. Indeed, a man may not rule in the church unless he can manage his own household well. For how else can he be competent for the greater task of managing the household of faith? So all leadership, whether in the Old or New Testament, whether civil or domestic or ecclesiastical, is exclusively uh, male. Mary Daly, a feminist scholar, uh, once quipped, the Bible is hopelessly patriarchal. And she was right. But not just the Bible, the the world itself being created by the same author is also hopelessly patriarchal. In no society, anywhere, or at any time have these realities been absent. There is no such thing as a matriarchy. It doesn't exist. There's little blips, right? Maybe 10 years, 30 years, little blips here. They've never existed. In every society that has ever existed, one finds patriarchy, male attainment, and male dominance. And if, you would, uh, if you'd like an academic treatment of the subject, I recommend Stephen Goldberg. He wrote a book called Why Men Rule, A Theory of Male Dominance. Listen to that title. <laughs> male dominance. Bad, right? But even the, the famous feminist anthropologist, Margaret Mead. So if you, if you took gen ed at any college, you should know who Margaret Mead is. She was at least one of the questions you had to answer on a test. Um, she uh, is intense, and she wrote an endorsement for the book saying that it was, it was well-researched, and no one, people just act like it doesn't exist because they don't know how to answer it. Because it shows that patriarchy is the natural, inevitable state of the world. But just because something is natural doesn't mean that it will always be virtuous. <clears throat> Good things can be perverted by sin, whereas unnatural things are always evil because they are contrary to God's design. Natural things, though uh, created good, can nonetheless be turned to unnatural ends. For example, homosexual desires are always wrong, because they're unnatural. They're always wrong. Heterosexual desires uh, were designed to be good, uh, but 
it, it can be twisted, right? So just because uh, I, it, the heterosexual desire is uh, natural doesn't mean fornication or sex outside of marriage uh, is good. So something unnatural is always sinful in every manifestation, and something that's natural must be governed by uh, God's law. Natural things must be ordered towards the ends God intended them for. They must conform to his word. And so it is with patriarchy. Male rules natural, and so it is inevitable. But when it is not governed by God, it will be wicked. This gives birth to an evil patriarchy, the rulership of wicked fathers who do not represent the fatherhood of God. And although our culture treats all patriarchy as evil, God's father rule is good. Evil patriarchy is that which does not reflect God's loving authority. Evil patriarchy hates those under it. It's not so much anti-woman as it is anti-everything, and especially anti-any threat to its own power. In fact, you can understand redemptive history through the lens of these warring patriarchies, the power of good patriarchies conflicting with the power of evil ones. In other words, there's been a battle between two seeds, Satan, the father of lies, and Jesus, the Son of God, who perfectly reflects the will of Father God. Also, consider the example of Pharaoh. It was inevitable for Egypt to be ruled by a patriarch, but it was not inevitable that he would be good. The king who ruled in the days of Joseph gave honor to Israel and his sons. But the king who arose in the days of Moses did no such thing. He saw the sons of Israel as a threat to his reign, and he determined to do something about it. At first, he tried hard labor, but when this didn't crush their spirits and prevent them from being fruitful and multiplying, he commanded the Hebrew midwives. It says in Exodus 1.16, when you're helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Pharaoh knew that the young men of Israel, unlike the women, were a direct threat to his reign. Why? Because all men are potential patriarchs. Men are designed for uh, conquest and rule. Uh, Their combined strength could be sufficient to break the chain of even a mighty dynasty like Egypt. So Pharaoh tried to use the Hebrew women against the Hebrew men. But one of the great ironic reversals of redemptive history, Shifra and Pua, the godly midwives, did not comply with the schemes of a corrupt ruler as Eve had done. Rather than being deceived into unwittingly abetting him, they resisted Pharaoh by deceiving him. But the midwives feared God and did not do as their king, as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are all vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. It's little known. What was the blessing of God? How did he reward them? He established households for them. Households are a blessing, a gift from God. So Pharaoh was forced to find another way to murder the future patriarchs of Israel. And he commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile and every daughter you are to keep alive. Young men are always the target of an evil patriarchy. Always. 
Because God's made them the rule, they are a threat to existing rule. Therefore, evil patriarchs are always trying to do one of three things. Number one, harness them. Why waste all that masculine energy after all if it can be turned towards the end of an evil patriarch? This is the first impulse of any patriarch since he is the leader of men, uh, regardless of how wicked or righteous he is. Most nations have done this to some degree uh, through enculturation and education, especially uh, military service or uh, formal schooling. We're trying to raise certain types of citizens. Uh, We see Nebuchadnezzar doing this with the Israelite noblemen in Daniel 1. Right? Memory takes all the young boys, the gifted boys, the royal family, and trains them up and tries to use him, uh, use them in his reign. Our own recent history is replete with examples uh, from legitimate patriotism that honors the Fifth Commandment uh, to vile programs that pervert it, like Hitler Youth or the Islamic radicalization of disaffected men in America. Pharaoh, too, tried to harness the sons of Israel. And we can detect the strong cultural influence of the Egyptians and the idolatry of the Exodus generation. And they're all like worshiping cows and stuff. So they were, and even Moses himself was uh, educated in their, their schools, right? And they tried to turn uh, these men to their purpose. So harness them. Second, pacify them. If the energy of men cannot be harnessed by evil patriarch, It often can be sapped by channeling it into pursuits that leave them impotent to rebel. This can be done by putting them to work as slaves, as Pharaoh did, but often it's by offering them bread and circuses, fruitless pursuits to escape into rather than doing the hard work of fighting. So we see um, sex sex use uh, with Samson and Delilah. That'd be one example. Um, In our day... Uh, the technique has been with uh, illicit images and videos online. Why, why, is that, why is that made legal? If you study the history of it, it's not that hard to figure out. It keeps men passive and weak. That's what's going on. They want you weak. Also, uh, there's the constant dopamine drip of virtual uh, video games. Men who are hooked up like jumpy, uh, junkies to it. And this is, I just see this with video games. I am not anti-video game, right? I can destroy some of you at Halo. That's either me showing, confessing my sin or kind of cool, right? A little something. But I'm not against video games. But these things have been designed to hack minds. The sounds, the images, they, they hire people that understand neurology to do this, to keep people stuck on it. When I was a kid, the one reason we would stay inside because it was like crazy hot. We wanted to go play football. And now getting our kids to go outside, you know, they walk out there and then the sun touches their skin. And they're like, like they're like vampires or something. Like get out there. But it keeps them pacified, right? They're developing skills. Everyone says that video games aren't masculine. That is not true at all. They are very masculine. You work with other guys, you have quests, you try to conquer, you try to be the best, you develop skills. It just doesn't matter in the real world. It just doesn't matter, right? I don't, no one cares about your high score, right? Karl Marx, following his father, the devil, famously said that religion is the opiate of the masses. Not so. It's religion, true religion, which is the one thing that sets the masses free from the actual opiate of fake dominion and fake fruitfulness. 
When this happens, there's only one option left for evil patriarchs. Destroy them. Young men who cannot be harnessed or pacified must be crushed. They're too dangerous to evil patriarchy to be allowed to live. This is why the most godless regimes are always the most murderous. Communism is well known for its ruthless hunts of dissidents in its own ranks. You can read Witness by Whitaker Chambers. And it's usually men. Pharaoh determined to kill every baby boy among the Hebrews, even though it would decimate his labor force. Herod, too, sought to have young Jesus killed by slaughtering the innocent. Throughout all history, we see manifestations of this war between patriarchies. Men will always rule, but which men? In an evil patriarchy, many men fail to overcome the harnessing, pacifying, and destructive forces arrayed against them. Many men fail to become patriarchs, and many more fail to become good patriarchs, ruling well over the domains God has given them. For many men, either their authorities are taken away by those with power over them, or it's twisted. That is why some women are angry at their dads. That is why some sons are angry at their dads. And that is why some sermons on Father's Day is kicking men in their butt. Because there are real evil dads. And the power echoes through their family for generations. Either way, whoever controls the men controls the culture. Sometimes the way this war is waged is overt, as in the case of Pharaoh. But sometimes it's more subtle. Consider the example of Absalom. He had his eyes on his father David's throne. He wanted to rule Israel. And he knew the importance of men in achieving his goal. So he hatched the plot. Men who would visit Jerusalem every day to bring legal cases requiring the king's judgment. Or they would every day. Uh, Some didn't feel heard. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Either way, Absalom saw an opportunity in the second Samuel 15 says this. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And he would say, your servants from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say, see, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me and I would give him justice. And when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom was able to steal the kingdom from David by stealing the hearts of the men. He invested time in them. He took an interest in them. He sided with them and he defended them. Every age has its pharaohs and Absaloms. But Absaloms are especially prevalent in times of disruption and disorder. They wait for a power vacuum created by weak and infectual fathers. Such is our time. Uh, The Absaloms are many. And while that's cause for concern, God is pleased also to raise up bold and godly patriarchs. Consider one last example. Nehemiah, centuries after Absalom, the great city where he sat in the gates was reduced to smoldering rubble. Its walls were broken down by Nebuchadnezzar. Its gates were burned with fire. And when Nehemiah saw it, he wept. 
He wept because he knew a city is protected by its walls and guided by men who sit in its gates. Jerusalem had neither. She had been reduced to a chaotic ash heap. Then Nehemiah, this is Nehemiah 2.17, said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. And we find ourselves in a similar situation. Western society is burning. The structures that led to our prosperities have been broken down. You see this in many realms, but none so clearly as the state of our men. Like the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the days of Nehemiah, our men, this is Nehemiah 1.3, are in great distress and reproach. We are living in a world of fatherless males who do not know how to rebuild the walls of society. They know how to build, explore, and conquer in video games. But they must turn to YouTube to learn how to jumpstart a car, tie a half-Windsor knot, and do a proper push-up. Social skills are even harder for them. They scour the Internet to learn how to stand up for themselves, make friends, talk to women. The knowledge, which is normally transmitted from father to son, has been lost. They have to rediscover it for themselves. And as if being fatherless wasn't bad enough, they're being born into a radically unstable cultural situation. Masculinity is shamed. Strong men are vilified as toxic. Fathers are portrayed in mass media as unnecessary buffoons, little better than one of the kids. Male suicide is heading for the sky. So many men ending their lives. Young men. Male testosterone count and grip strength is plummeting. It's weird. Your average man right now has the grip strength of a woman 70 years ago. Weird things are going on. Men are truly weaker and they're under attack. And all this would have seemed absurd just 50, 60 years ago. And yet here we are. Our cultures become like Jerusalem, burning. And so we have, and so have our men. More correctly, our men have become like Jerusalem, burning. And so has our culture. The men of the West have become ruined cities. In our real cities, states and nations have followed. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city that's broken into without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Now, how do we get into this situation? Well, primarily through the failure of fathers who failed to be godly patriarchs. There's some circles I can't say that. They've overreacted so much to feminists that I can't say, yes, we're... We allowed these evil people to take control. Men failed. And of course, there are evil patriarchs who have harnessed, pacified, and destroyed both men and women. But regardless, this mess is ours to fix. We are the ones now living in a burning Jerusalem. We're the ones who must rebuild the walls. We're the ones who must overcome the evil patriarchs of our day, whether in the deep state or the media industrial complex, whatever. We're the ones who must refuse to be turned aside to their will by deception and gaslighting, refuse to be numbed by their offers of cheap pleasure, and refuse to be cowed by their intimidation and oppression. Jerusalem is indeed burning. Many men in the church know it. And they're tired of living in the ash heap. The condition of our culture cannot conquer our masculine nature. They want to fight, but they crave guidance. When the Babylonians burned Jerusalem, God raised up Nehemiah to rebuild it. 
But where are the Nehemiahs of our day? Where are the pastors who build with a trowel in one hand and fight with a sword in another? Where are the Christian leaders who can rally men with words like this and mean it? Nehemiah 4.14, when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Right now, the church is not known for such men. And so in the absence of godly Nehemiah, young men are turning the Absaloms. Someone must help them repair what is broken and rebuild what is lost. The orphans are groping for fathers. And so they find Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan, secular men's rights advocates, various YouTubers. They discover that at some level, these men listen. And at some level, these men understand. These men advocate for them and defend them. These men are trying to fight and build. They have a hammer in one hand and a firearm in the other. So these men steal their hearts. And the church is in danger of losing another generation of men. We are in danger of prolonging our time in exile. We need Nehemiahs who will lead men in the work of rebuilding. But they are few. Many leaders in the church won't even acknowledge that Jerusalem is burning at all. And the ones that do often can't honestly explain why. They are blind guides prescribing solutions that not only fail to address the core problem, but often create uh, more of the problem. We need a revival of fatherhood, of holy, godly, disciplined fatherhood. That's what we need. And brothers, men, brothers, fathers, what are you going to do about these evil men? What are you going to do? If you don't do anything, who is? These evil patriarchs, this evil patriarchy. It's not just men. Feminine women are being hated on. Women who want to be mothers and stay at home are ashamed. Like that's some low calling. It is one of the highest vocations ever possible. Are you going to let these people steal your sons? Oppress your daughters? Make you their slaves? Or will you smash the evil patriarchy? Listen, the devil is the father of lies. He's that serpent of old. So where does this start Where's, where do we get a revival of fatherhood from? Well, from dads bowing the knee to God the Father. Being born again, where your heart cries out, Abba, Father. Where your nature is reordered according to God's word in a way that glorifies him. And that's why we can't just talk about societal changes. We have to preach the gospel. That's where it starts. And we can be confident. We can know that, yes, the devil bruised Jesus' heel, but he will stomp his head in. Jesus is king, and he will always be king, and nothing can stop that. So humble yourself before Father God, and he will strengthen you. We need fathers to stand up and fight. 
We need father. We need men that will invest in people that didn't have good dads, mentors. And it doesn't take much. Some guys just need a little push, a little encouragement, a little instruction. It's amazing the return on investment you see from things like that. And we need fathers now to do the good work of raising up your sons and daughters to fear the Lord, to know the word of God, to be competent people that can interact with this darkness around us. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, you need to be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Fathers, a lot rides on your faithfulness, and we must step up. We must be able to lead ourselves, lead our families, lead our churches and our communities. So take heart. God has made you to do it, and he will strengthen you to do it. There is a resource that we have in heaven that is infinite and unending and available to all those who will humble themselves before God. So let's pray. Thank you.